It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to Free Exchange. I'm Oliver Wiseman, editor of CapEx and host of Free Exchange. Given that this podcast takes more than a passing interest in British politics, it won't surprise you to learn that this week's episode is on Brexit. I spoke to Stephen Booth, Director of Policy and Research at the think tank Open Europe, Lee Rowley, Conservative MP for North East Derbyshire and one of the backbenchers who has submitted a letter of no confidence in the Prime Minister, and John Ashmore, Deputy Editor of CapEx. Given the fast pace of events in Westminster and Brussels at the moment, it's probably worth pointing out that we recorded this episode on Wednesday morning, and it's quite possible that one or two things have changed since then. So, uh, Lee, I'm going to start with you. Um, you are one of the people who has publicly declared that they have written a letter of no confidence. Um, so I'm going to give you, you know, some space and time to explain the, the logic behind that. Uh, why don't you have confidence in, in, in the Prime Minister? Sure. So it's, um, well, I never thought I'd be here. It was the first point to make 15, 18 months into uh, being elected to Parliament. I didn't expect to be writing a confidence letter and it and it's given me absolutely no pleasure in doing so in fact quite the reverse it's a really uh a really odd and in some ways very emotional process to go through but the fundamental has to be do i think that the policies which the government are coming currently coming forward with on brexit are workable or achievable or desirable and the answer i've come to on the to those questions is no and then the second question when you when you get to that answer is, do you think that the government is willing or able to change course? And unfortunately, over the last few months, the one thing we have seen from the Prime Minister is when she makes a decision on Brexit, she tends to stick to it. And I've not agreed with a number of those decisions over the last few months, and I absolutely can't endorse this deal. And because the policy has become so intertwined with the Prime Minister personally, you get to a place where the logic dictates that you you need a new leader in order to change the policy. And that's where I am. And I'm very sad about it. I have a huge amount of respect for the Prime Minister on a personal level. I think she, well, one thing you can say, whatever you think about this deal is she's worked very hard and she's shown immense strength and fortitude. But, you know, resilience isn't a strategy. And therefore, you have to make a decision about where things are going. And my own personal one for what it's worth is I don't think it's going in the right direction. I've got to change it. And, and I mean, is there, what are the, just on the deal itself, um, not, not so much the premise of what are the, what are your big objections to it? Sure. Well, there's people who are much more detailed, knowledgeable and legal than I am. But from standing back, I have two broad problems with it. One is 
the detail within it. So I have an issue with the continuation of the ECJ's remit in many places. We can debate all of these in detail, but you know, the ECJ, I have a problem with the common rule book in a different name. I have a huge problem with the backstop, which seems to be the place where we will end up rather than where people think we shouldn't, but we may. But if you stand back from all of those, because they're all incredibly important, but rather technocratic discussions, right? Technical discussions. Um, I have a problem with the negotiation as a whole. I just don't think we're approaching this negotiation in the right way. I don't think the conclusion that's come out of the negotiation has worked, and therefore I can't endorse it. And the, the biggest problem for me is, whatever you think about Brexit, wherever you voted, wherever you think we are at the moment on the government strategy, the one thing people want is to move on. And the last thing this is going to do, this agreement is going to keep us in Brexitville for the next, you know, years and years and years because we will continue to do that now there's always an element that we'd have to do that anyway i'm not i'm not some no don't have some idea that next march it will all go away but you know this is a guarantee of a continuation of a discussion which whatever people think people want to move on from and so it's the wrong thing for me there are um last question directly you then we can open this up but um there are lots of people that would agree with lots of your uh the issues you take with the substance of it, there's a lot not to like in the deal, um, even on the Prime Minister's own terms, in terms of what she, she described as her red lines. The problem, however, for, for some people is, is, is the next question, which is, you know, what is the alternative roadmap? I'm, I mean, I'm not asking you to talk on behalf of um, people that want to be party leaders or the ERG or whoever, but, you know, in general, the, the, the anti-deal Eurosceptics, the frustration, I think, out there with them is... Give us a better, show us a better plan. So, so what's the kind of Lee Rowley version of that? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I'll leave it to some of the experts. But my 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 approach here is the the, the 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 question about what is the alternative plan is predicated on the assumption that the process we've gone through is acceptable. I don't think it is. I think the negotiation strategy has been wrong throughout. So I, I sort of start from a slightly different paradigm. We wouldn't be here if we were more robust in our negotiations, if we'd gone in and been clearer, if we'd been clearer about actually preparing for no deal, whether we want to use it or not. So all of it, in my view, has been wrong over the past five or six months. So I start from the premise that we're in the wrong place to start with, but we are where we are. So my view is we have to reject this deal. We have Somebody has to go back and say to the EU, we want to change this deal, we want to remove some of the things which we talked about a few minutes ago as not being acceptable. That will be incredibly difficult. We can see this morning Spain, France, others want to actually tighten the deal. And you know, we'd be going back and saying we want to loosen some of it, but that is where we have to go back. And so the negotiation point is well. And then I want to move to a plan A type scenario where we actually get a free trade deal without a hard door border in Northern Ireland, because I don't believe the premise of the backstop, notwithstanding all detail which you know you, you have to take into account. And if we can't do that, we have to be willing to go on WTO terms. There is a underlying here um, attempt by the EU, perfectly rational on their side, the problem is we've accepted it, to try and get us to a place where you know, ultimately they get a lot of the positives and they give us a load of the negatives. We can't accept that. So we have to be willing to go out without a deal if necessary. I want a deal, but if we can't get one, we have to go without. Uh, Stephen, your uh, Open, Open Europe, you and your colleagues are sort of, I presume, pouring over the details of this um, very long document and have been over the last few days. Um, is Lee's characterisation of it as something which the EU... Um, you know, it's, it's a very one-sided deal. Does that ring true to, to, to you and your colleagues? 
Well, I think it's true that there's lots of things, if you're reading it from a sort of British point of view, uh, that are objectionable within it. I think the, the key things really are the fact that under the backstop, clearly there, there is scope for regulatory differences between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, which we don't know how exactly that will work and has the potential to create um, regulatory barriers between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. So from a DUP perspective, you can see why they're upset. Um, uh, I think the other big problem with it uh, is that the, the exit mechanism for for the backstop, i.e. once we sign this deal, is it how, how possible is it for us to basically leave onto WTO terms with the UK intact if the EU isn't playing ball on the future uh, trade deal? I think that is, again, problematic um, because it's not clearly defined. However, what I would say is that I think the EU has also recognised for a long time that, and they've, there's, there's sort of quotes on various newspaper articles sort of saying this isn't tsunami-proof, i.e. if we're actually in that situation in the UK really isn't happy with this, a future government, if it had the mandate, could pull out of the thing. That's just, that's just the way international treaties work. Um, but clearly it has been in the EU's interest to use the Irish backstop as a means of leveraging the next phase of trade talks, and that, that's all true. Um, but I think it's also important to recognise, and I think that's sort of been slightly missed on the UK side of the debate, is that, that the EU really isn't happy with this backstop either, and actually they've had to pay quite a high price for their stance on, in terms of solidarity with Ireland. They didn't want to give us a UK-wide backstop. Um, and, and I'm sure that Lee doesn't actually like any of the Chequers proposals, but they've actually had to give us quite a lot of the substance of the Chequers proposal the government proposed, despite saying the whole time they weren't going to give us any of it. Um, the four freedoms are sacrosanct, indivisible. Well, actually, they're giving us a customs union. It's not quite sort of single market access for goods, but it's going to be pretty close. That comes without free movement of people. Uh, it comes with actually quite light touch level playing field um, obligations. Um, we need to remember that the government has basically got what it said it wanted in terms of level playing field. We want to dynamically align on state aid rules uh, and competition, but in terms of environmental and social policy rules, we're not going to be taking on future rules, we're just not going to repeal the ones we've already adopted. Um, so, um, and, and the French and the Germans and, and others are upset at that because they feel actually the UK is going to get quite a lot of access to the single market and goods without what they would see as the obligations that EU member states have to fulfil. So, yes, I think there are lots of problems with the deal, but and I, and I think the one thing I would, I would say is that if you take a step back and say um, that, that, that this is an unhappy compromise on both sides of the channel and, and, the, and the likelihood is that this isn't going to be indefinite because I just don't think it's politically sustainable on either side if, if it was actually passed by Parliament. Um, if we end up in the backstop, I don't think it could last more than five, ten years because one or, other, one or both sides would be unhappy with it um, because the EU will see it as, OK, the UK has the ability to diverge on social employment law and other regulations and that's... That's not, that's not sustainable in the long term because that's, that's granting the UK too much freedom for manoeuvre. On our side, I don't think we can stay in a situation in which we're in a customs union with the EU for, for very long because if, if, for example, the EU does get serious about negotiating a trade deal with the US, for example, there's no way that a British government can sit on the sidelines and just say, OK, you guys negotiated for us and we'll sign a dotted line. I think that, that once, we're in, once we're out, I think that the process will take on a life of its own and that, therefore, we will start to diverge more and there'll have to be a new negotiation. Now, that's not necessarily the kind of... <laughs> if you're an MP being asked to vote on this text now, that's not necessarily a reassurance. But I think if you sort of take a long view and say, 
okay, look, if you're Brexit here, you're fighting on so many fronts right now, you're, you're fighting a domestic battle about leave remain. And what this does do is get you out. And I think closes down the people's vote and, and closes down the remain argument because remain then becomes rejoin. And then I think, yes, you do have to, there is gonna to have to be a next battle about well, where do we go from here? Um, and obviously part of that is gonna be in the negotiations with the EU in the next phase. There's also going to be a process in the UK of kind of saying, well, if Remain's not an option, now where do we go from here? And I think people's views will start to shift. Um, one of the things that, that, that people, MPs like Lee, other Eurosceptics are, are so concerned about, and I believe this is actually the reason Dom Raab ended up resigning, is, is, is not so much the, the technicalities of the um, backstop and so on and when we can exit it, but, the, but the, this idea that basically the backstop will be the basis for the future relationship and that's the sort of the logic of it is mm. what is the starting point of the next round of negotiations you know that is an I think an area where that is something that is you, you know they're right to be so worried about because that does leave Britain in a, in a more of a permanent um, uh, not purgatory but in a position where they can't cap we can't capitalize on any potential benefits of Brexit well, I think it does come back to the exit because that was always going to be the case right the, we need to understand this is, this is there's two stages to negotiation this is the withdrawal the next bit is going to be the future and the EU could always have said well the minimum we think to avoid a border is a customs union so that, that dynamic doesn't necessarily go away and, and, and this, this backstop will reinforce that but where I agree with Lee completely is that unless the UK gets serious, even in this next phase about planning for dealing with the EU on WTO rules, we're all, they're always going to use that as leverage against us. You have, to, you have to be in a point at which you can say, we have another plan that we are prepared to do. It may involve some short-term pain um, to, to get there, but we're prepared to do that because we don't, we don't agree with you that a customs union is the bare minimum required for this. We want to try an FTA with technical solutions or, or whatever else. Um, but the, the, the idea that that was going to be the, the, the objection is simply that the EU insists on a customs union. Well, they, they can do that. I mean, that's, it's a negotiation. Yeah. Um, the issue is that they can now use our inability to exit the backstop as leverage to push that position. And I think that's, what, that's why I think the, the exit clause is important and why a, a future leader, if it's, not this, if it's not this prime minister, needs to be able to, to plan for no deal and say, look, okay, look, we signed this treaty, There's, there, is, there is an exit mechanism, it's very convoluted, and ultimately we are going to hold the EU to the good faith clause in there, and we're going to keep planning for a no deal, and if the EU isn't playing ball the next time round, I will seek a mandate to go to WTO rules, and that's what we'll do. And, and, and unless the government is prepared to, to kind of meet fire with fire and play hardball, we're always going to be in that situation of, of kind of the EU setting the agenda. The, the fundamental problem, I, I, I agree with much of what you're saying, and there's ultimately a question about, you know, I don't think many people are, particularly are, who, who have concerns about this, are really arguing about the level of concern. Most people accept that this is a hugely problematic deal with a huge number of problems within it and difficulties within it. And then the question becomes a tactical one about when you when you make your your call about when you can or can't accept it. And I've obviously come out and said, you know, we, we, we cannot accept this, I will not vote for it, but with a number of colleagues we need to go back and renegotiate it now. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, I think the appetite in this country for a continuation of the national debate, which we've had on Brexit over the past two, three years, you know, in my constituency, just south of Sheffield, North East Derbyshire, it isn't there. They, 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 are, they are wanting to move on, and quite rightly, I want to move on. I want to talk about why capitalism needs to be reformed. I want to talk about why we need to stand up for liberal democratic principles, blah, 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 blah. 
But so the so the the space in the domestic debate to do that is going to be limited. We know there's going to be some requirement to do it anyway, but the space is narrowing. So we have less opportunity for that to continue national debate in my view. But also we are reliant upon, I mean, you mentioned the good faith clauses and things like that. And I speak to some of my colleagues who are less exercised about this. Most of them are happy. Most of them see that there are problems, but you know, probably are the ones who are more erring towards voting for the, for, for the thing. And they say, well, you know, hopefully we'll never need to use the backstop and everybody's got to act in good faith and all the rest of it. I mean, I wish somebody would sit down to me and show me as an ex-management consultant how you quantify good faith. You know, how is that clause in any way usable? Because because I, nobody's been able to do that. And I was speaking to a barrister yesterday and he said it's not worth the paper it's written on. So, you know, we can write whatever we like. And I know that there are all kinds of words that are used in international treaties and documents and all the rest of it around these things. But ultimately, we can't be reliant upon that. And the reality is the backstop, as you've indicated to some extent, becomes the fallback. And so we are losing any semblance of leverage in any future phase because we are giving up um, the principle of a customs union, we're giving up the backstop and we're giving up the money right now. So I just, you know, it's a catastrophic failure of negotiation and at some point you have to say, enough, not doing this. Yeah, well, I think I think I think the, the issue is that you need to have you need to have a constructive alternative. I think, and that's that's and I think that's the that's the problem that, that there is is that there isn't a mandate for anything else. Right? There isn't there isn't a mandate for a Plan B at the moment that that, that you can say, well, look, let's negotiate this. And I think that's that is the, that is kind of the problem, which is why uh, the Prime Minister's got a terrible job because she's fighting two battles at the same time. One one domestically and within the Tory Party about what what we're trying to do, and and also with the EU. Um, and I, I take your point about kind of worth the paper there is on in terms of good faith clauses and so on. And, and that's kind of what I agree with you. I think the, the point is that you need to get we need to get our government in a place where we, we in the next phase of negotiations that you say, look, we, we, we're going to go through the process. It's not, we're not totally happy with it, but we accept there's a process and that Brexit is going to take longer than we otherwise would have liked. Um, but we still need to concentrate on plan B. We need to have that no deal option there because because it, it, and it's and while it's not necessarily provided for in the agreement politics are politics right and, and if and if and if if, if the new if a new government were to come in say in that period with a strong mandate and a majority it'd be much easier for them to say actually look we're not happy with this and we are going to go to the wto rules it's, it's, a, it's a case of having a political mandate to do it i think the problem at the moment is that we are so close to deadline um, and it's not clear what the alternative is um so we're kind of stuck with with this, unless unless the alternative is to go for no deal now, which is I think is is is, is kind of the other alternative. John, yeah, it just strikes me looking at the kind of various options. I think something we can maybe come on to in a bit is that of the let's say there's three options: WTO, the deal, and a second referendum. It strikes me that two of those are kind of dead in the water without some very serious um, parliamentary changes. I.e., the deal isn't going to get through. Parliament, there's just not a majority there. Second referendum, I mean, the last one took, what, seven months to get through Parliament? So I really don't see how the mechanics work for that, which leaves us with WTO. And I think the real failure, which we kind of touched on briefly there, of this negotiation is that I don't think it really felt at any point that Theresa May was serious about preparing for no deal and doing the kinds of things that would make it clear to the EU that that was an option for us. Um, I just wonder... Lee, from your point of view, obviously your preference would be a free trade deal. That, to my mind, and maybe Stephen, you've got a different view, but necessitates extending Article 50, which again gets us back to the problem of endlessly talking about 
Brexit and this process seemingly never-ending. I mean, do you think that's something that Tory MPs could wear if it meant that we ended up with a better version of things of, uh, in the long run? I think that's a really fair question to ask, and it's not a question, well, as a politician, I'm probably going <laughs> to sidestep the question to some extent. There, there will come a point where, in a few months' time, that has to be discussed, and that will again be a failure of negotiation and a failure of political strategy, if that is the case. The, the reason why I've, you know, the reason why I've come out and said that I, I, I can't support the leadership, the current government and its leadership at this time is because I agree with you. I don't think there was any serious attempt to undertake no-deal preparations, whether we were intending to use them or not. And the first rule of negotiation is you've got to be willing to, to, to keep all your options open, and we haven't done that. And the reason why I've said now is the time for a leadership change is because we still have, time is running out, but we still have a number of months where we can significantly accelerate no-deal preparations so that we are in a place where WTO terms may be plausible if the European Union continue to be as intransigent as they are in terms of the other alternative. So my preference is that we get going on that as quickly as possible so we do demonstrate we are serious. Because the thing we've been talking about over the past... 10-15 minutes is at some point we are going to have to demonstrate we are serious about saying no to them if they continue to offer things we think are substandard or unacceptable it's just that hasn't been done and the point um, Stephen was making is that we have to do that in the next phase my point is we have to do it in this phase I, I you know we can debate that I guess but my view is we have to get going and leadership isn't serious about it so we have to we have to move to that discussion just on the political mandate which you were talking about I mean we are where we are, right? And I don't want to fight the last war. But the, the point is, I would argue, the political mandate was there. It is the leadership which has moved on the political mandate. Now, you can argue that in doing that, they've created a whole lot of collateral damage, people resigning, 10 Tories now with a second supporting the people's vote and all the rest of it. And that may be true, but you know, ultimately that doesn't mean that we didn't stand on a mandate of doing something, Lancaster House, Mansion House, Florence, and you know, we it is the leadership which has moved, not not me, not 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 no, 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 that I've, no, no of course not. But, but uh, Parliament but is what it is, right? And, and if and if the numbers aren't there, numbers aren't there. And I think that's that's the, that's the challenge now. Can I just go back to this No Deal stuff because it seems to me that one of the problems with the Brexit debate, which is going to be increasingly important, is people sort of mean different things when they say no, say No Deal, yeah. and and there's you know trading on WTO terms is obviously not as good as as a trading relationship as, as our current relationship but is basically not the end of the world in terms of in terms of uh, British economy um, if that's what if that's what we're talking about but surely one of the points is we, when we talk about no deal we don't actually know what we're talking about we might be talking about a situation where yes um, trade with the EU is more costly but um, you know basically everything else is running smoothly or we are talking about a situation where all these other very boring but very important side deals with um our close allies to do with the planes taking off on time and all these other things. These things are not are not uh, agreed. And if we're in that situation, you know, it seems to me the problem with No Deal is that you have you have exactly the wrong kind of asymmetrical risk, right? Maybe it would be kind of okay, but it could also be uh, it could also be it could also live up to some of the horror stories. Is that am I am I being sort of melodramatic about it, uh, Stephen? Or uh, well, I, I, I think well we looked at sort of trading on WTO rules, and we we, we would concur that that, that in, the, in the long term, medium term, that's not that's not a big deal economically. The question, as you rightly say, is what is the short term impact? Now, I think that it could be quite messy for sort of days, weeks, but ultimately, a lot of those side deals would be done because 
um, we're NATO allies, that, 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 that these things would, would affect the EU as well. But it would be messy, I think, for days and possibly weeks in, in, in that intervening period. And I think one of the problems that, that, that faced the Brexiteer sort of argument as well is that, that I think there has also been a reluctance to come clean, that, that there is sort of pain before gain sometimes in this, in this process of, of, uh, of, of Brexit. And that, that um, it, there's, there's been too much kind of, it's all going to be fine, don't worry about it, and not kind of what's a hard-headed look at kind of, okay, look, there are risks here, we can mitigate some of them, and uh, this is what it might look like. But I think the ground was, and I think this part of the planning for no deal wasn't simply making sure the ports worked or anything else, it was also preparing the public for saying, look, there might be a situation in which the deal they offer us is bad, and a bad deal would look like this. And they, they kind of started to do that around Northern Ireland, but didn't really kind of prepare people for that. And but it had to be, you had to have a PR exercise alongside actually doing the operational things to make no deal work, to say, look, this, this would be a preference for a way to go in the event the EU offered us this. And that, that political conversation was never had, as far as I can see. So I think it was always going to be very difficult. Um, and I think that, that speaks to the, the point Lee was making. The, 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 I think you have to question whether the government has ever really considered no deal to be a, a viable option, because they, have, they never really prepared the public for the possibility that that might be a, a way to go. Um, I just feel that the, I think a lot of the way we talk about no deal is predicated on the kind of warnings that were made during the referendum campaign, particularly the treasury models of different scenarios which have already proven to be like wholly inaccurate. I mean, they said we'd uh, lose half a million jobs in two years directly after the referendum. And I think that and a lot of the way that we discuss the, the fallout is from what are, in my view, scare stories put around for political ends by one side of the debate. So while I agree it's definitely going to be complicated, and as, you, as Stephen says, in the short term things could be tricky, I think there's far less to fear than you might think from reading the papers. Put it that way. One other element I just want to bring in is I, I just wonder what the kind of political machinations would be if there is no deal, if things do start to look really bad in the immediate few weeks, is there then a possibility that there could be a confidence vote, that we could go for another general election, that you know, a, a, new, a whole new political movement then springs up? I mean, is that, you know, is that something Tory MPs are, are sort of alive to? Well, the political situation is very brittle at the moment, and I don't, and you know there is there are scenarios where it it becomes very 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 difficult, and you know that, I mean I'm a very proud conservative, but I'm a conservative on the basis I'm a social and economic liberal and believe the Conservative Party is the best way to be able to deliver those things. Um, if the Conservative Party goes off and does ridiculous things, you know, if the Conservative Party tomorrow turns socialist, I wouldn't stay in the Conservative Party. But I'm a, you know, I, but at the same time, I believe in my party. I've fought very hard for it for the best part of 20 years. And, you know, and the reality, however, is we have to stand back and recognise there are challenges. And this, and this requires a cool-headed look at where we are going. And a lot of the debate on Brexit, including over last week, is about where we've been and who's got there and the personalities and all the rest of it. But the reality is four months to see whether we can do something on this. We've got as a country to hold our nerve and we've got to try and work out a better direction than, than we're going. I completely agree with you on WTO. I mean, my, I say always when I talk about WTO, my preference is not to go to WTO because if you are having an economically rational discussion, which is very naive thing to say as politicians, <laughs> but if you're having an economically rational discussion, we should be able to sort this very quickly. The reason we're not is because the politics have gone away. 
don't naively say, but we need to call it out and recognise that that's the case. And for me, that you know, you hear, hear these guys on the other side, and they genuinely believe it, and they say, you know, a no-deal situation would be catastrophic. And you go, well, how would it be catastrophic? Can you explain it to me? Go, well, it would just be catastrophic. And then we get into this reductive circular argument where we don't actually get any detail. Now, I don't deny that there will be problems, and I agree with you, Stephen, that we have that those of us who you know, in certain circumstances would, would accept going there, need to be clearer with the British public about what it means and why we've got there. It needs to be both the narrative and then what needs to be what what, what, what happens. But if we are really dealing with it, with the other side with the EU who are going to stop the planes taking off, who are going to stop the insulin coming in and they're going to stop the contracts working, then we've never been dealing with a rational act of full stop. So we might as well have just taken the first thing they've given to us. Because you know you cannot have that kind of discussion. You know, you the in, contracts is an example. Yeah, if, if we don't sign, if we don't agree something which says the contracts which we've signed into them and they've signed into us, both private and public, can still run after the market, it will hurt them more than it hurts us. There are more of their insurance contracts which are guaranteed in the London markets than vice versa. So, you know, those kind of things hurt them significantly as well. But, you know, as somebody who used to be in business, you negotiate until the last minute. And then you come up with a load of side letters equivalent. You come up with a load of side agreements if you need to in order to get these things through if you can't agree on the substance of the thing. And that's going to happen. And it just is. It might not happen until February. And I don't want that to be the case, but that's going to happen. So I agree with you. The WTO thing is overblown. doesn't mean there isn't going to be a problem, but it's overblown and we should call it out being overblown. Can we go just for a second into some of the parliamentary um, nitty-gritty? So if we, I think... I think we all agree that if there was a vote tomorrow on this deal, it would not pass uh, or even come close to passing uh, House of Commons. Any, I'm taking the silence as, a, as <laughs> agreement there. Well, I don't um, know, and but, you know, I, I I am surprised that a number of my colleagues have allowed it to get to the place where it is. So who knows? But yeah. Yes, I agree in principle. That but let's that say so, and, and let's also make the assumption, which I think is well, we can debate too, but. That you know that Theresa May does not manage to get meaningful changes to the deal from Brussels um, before then. I think if you look at you know as as, as, we, as we were discussing earlier, you, the fact that some Europe, European countries want it to be even tighter than it is at the moment is doesn't bode well. So, but so let's say so let's say there's a vote on the deal. The deal uh, is voted down in Parliament. Um, you know the question is what happens next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, I think there's one role is what you said. I think that w- w- as we speak, they are still negotiating and fleshing out the political declaration on sort of what the future might look like. Now, that's not as important as the withdrawal agreement because it's going to be a political agreement. It's not legally binding in the same way. But I think that can be used and to sort of to, to talk, speak to some of the points that Lee has been making about kind of what future options there might be. And I think if what the UK should be pushing for is that that, that menu should be reasonably wide, i.e. we should be talking about, well, or we, we would like to move in the direction of a future free trade agreement, which is outside the customs union, uh, and we're still committed to avoiding a hard border. But that, um, so that comes down to, that, but that essentially comes down to the EU acknowledging that um, there are ways to fix Ireland that don't involve a customs union. Yes, and I think we should. That's the big one, and big I think, question, right? Yeah, and I think we need to. We I think we should be arguing to have that in the in the political declaration, and I think we should be arguing to, to cross more strongly cross reference that commitment in the withdrawal agreement. I.e., if we if we want to take this issue to uh, the review mechanism and arbitration, we should be able to point to saying, "Well, look, you signed up to this thing in good faith, saying that you were going to try and help us fix this under a free trade agreement scenario, not simply in a customs union," and. Again, the legal force of that may not be so strong, but in terms of a future government or, or this government being able to point to that in the future and say, look, they signed up to this, we thought that's what this meant, and they're not playing ball, we need to have some of that in there now if this agreement is going to go through, because I think that would help us make that argument in the next phase, which is going to be uh, important. It, it does seem, just on, on that point, it does seem that one of the things the government's done quite badly is... Um, the, is the way it's the, the politics around the, the, the agreement they signed in December. So the EU has been very good at saying you signed you you, you signed up to the backstop. So here we go. Um, and uh, the British government's been quite bad at saying you signed up to you know there being no customs um, border between Northern Ireland and uh, and and the rest of the UK. So you know there is kind of a and again again I guess this is the, the political dynamics of the negotiation, isn't it? But maybe the government could have done a better job of. Kind of holding Brussels to the same standard that it's held to. Completely. Um, I mean, as I understand it, the discussion last December was that we need to see sufficient progress on the Irish border. And then that has morphed from sufficient progress to being a backstop guaranteed by treaty, which cannot be gotten out unless an independent panel agree that we can do that. Now, the reality is you from move from one place to another is 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 done by a shifting and the british government has shifted significantly and in my in my view uh, you know completely wrongly so there is no there is no doubt there needs to be a compromises and there is no doubt that then we need to stand back and let cool heads prevail and work this through but the reality is that um, we are giving up all of our leverage for a document which is a statement of intent which doesn't have the kind of uh, legal basis which the the withdrawal agreement does and which will be heavily open to interpretation it's seven pages long even if they you know quadruple it times it by 10 it will still dwarf the amount of pages that the withdrawal agreement has been as has, has, um, has got and the reality is it will it, it will mean all things to all people in order to get things through and we will still be left on the cold day in april of next year if we let this thing through having signed up to give the money having signed up to something we can't get out of, and having take, given away all of our leverage as a result. That's just wholly unacceptable. It's just wholly unacceptable. Like, you know, that's why colleagues can't vote for it. What does the... Uh, again, I come back to the original point, though. What does the... Um, 
you know, what does changing a leader firstly solve? I can understand some of the arguments around to someone else negotiating the next stage perhaps, but in the, in the narrow question of changing as much as, you, you know, getting as close to what you want between now and next uh, March, you know, what, what, what actually can be done? Because, and, and, you know, but it's, it's not just the leader, it's the parliamentary arithmetic too. And, you know, I, well, let's that's why I think so many people who are unhappy with the deal aren't with you on... Well, let's deal with the leadership first. Um, do you think that the leadership of the cons- current leadership of the Conservative Party will change course if this withdrawal agreement gets voted down? Do you think, oh, right, sorry, guys, we've just spent the last two years negotiating this, quote-unquote, this is the deal that I wanted, which was stated in the press conference last Friday, and they'll happily trot back to, to Brussels and try and negotiate for something different? I mean, I, you know, it, it, it pains me to say so. This is the, the leader of my party, this is somebody who... I went through a general election with who I have the greatest of respect for, but I just do not think there is the willingness to look through an alternative lens to try and look at alternatives. And the job of leadership is ultimately to bring the parliamentary party forward and, uh, with them. And you know, parliamentary arithmetic, you're absolutely right, has become infinitely more complex as a result of the last few months and the poor negotiations within it. But the reality is you start with the leadership and you start by recognising you need to go and fix the backstop, that you need to go and loosen some of these rules around common rule books and the rest of it. You have to look at these and tighten some of the rules around the ECJ's influence in place. And that you don't give all our leverage away as part of it. Do some of that, we can talk. Until then, deal's off. I think just a brief point, which is if you do change leader and get in a sort of true Brexiteer, you know, a lever instead of Theresa May, doesn't that just open up a kind of it's almost like a parliamentary game of whack-a-mole because, yeah, the ERG lot might be on side, but then you open up the kind of Remainy Tories who might be against the new version of the deal. So you end up with a, just a different part of the Tory party trying to block progress. Is, is that not a risk? I know I upset that that is a smaller part of the parliamentary party than the ERG, but... I mean, all of these questions are really valid, and, I, and I'm sorry if I'm not, perhaps, if I'm trying seeking to swerve them, but the reality is that you... You know, for me, this is not a calculation about what the Conservative Party will or won't accept. Because I think the one, the one thing that's been demonstrated over the last year is the Conservative Party seems to be able to be managed into places that are contrary to its manifesto. So you know, I'll, I'll let the, the business managers of the Conservative Party of my party work that through. It's a principle thing for me. It's never been about leadership. It's never been about internal party politics. This deal is a manifestly bad one for this country. As a member of parliament, a relatively new member of parliament, I have to make a judgment about whether I can support it, and I can't. And, you know, I was on radio last Saturday, and the entire conversation about Brexit went to who was my favourite candidate in the event that uh, Theresa May you know, lost a vote with no confidence. I, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not in that space. You know, the reality is people will come forward, we'll work out where we are, but it's the policy which matters. It's not the people, and I think we need to get back to the policy because the more you look at the policy the worse it looks. Uh, one of the theories doing the rounds on, on, on Parliament's reaction to this is that there'll be a, a vote, the deal will be voted down, there'll be a sort of catastrophic um, reaction in financial markets and currency markets, which will, a la Congress in 2008 with the uh, bailout deals, uh, will sort of focus uh, the minds of you, you and your colleagues, Lee, and, and, and there'll be another vote and then the deal will pass. What does everyone think about that kind of that kind of the likelihood of that being what happens. Uh, well, I, I think I think it's plausible that that the, that the deal passes a, a second or third time of asking. But but I think there's there's still a lot of uncertainty in that. It's particularly if there were to be a confidence vote 
after a, a, a defeat in the House of Commons, then I think things get very, very messy, um, and all, yeah, anything can happen at that point. I do think that, that, and we talked about it earlier, I think the EU is going to be reluctant to open up the withdrawal agreement until it has been tested in Parliament. And I think it's inevitable. I, I agree that round the table, I think it's probably inevitable that, lo- that they lose once. And obviously, a big, a, a lot of this also hinges on the Labour Party's position or elements of the Labour Party's position. And ultimately, I do think if it passes, it will have to pass with a cross-party um, vote in favour. Um, so yeah, I, but I, I think I think again, it's, it's it's very difficult to predict because I do think that if there was to be a confidence vote after a defeat in the House of Commons, I think then then it could be very unpredictable. I mean, there's a way to avoid all that. I'm not saying that will happen. You know, TARP was a extraordinary situation mm-hmm. in America in 2008. I remember watching it at work um, back then, and it really did feel like you know that there was something that the tectonic plates in the world were shifting. Um, this this is very different, and the reality is there's a way to avoid the need for the markets to express their concern about the political situation, and that is to change the deal now. Now, whether that's plausible or not, whether that's realistic or not... Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think, the, one, I think the one point is that the risk of, sort of talk, talking cross-purposes, I think, is that, I think, uh, yes, there are concerns about the withdrawal agreement, but a lot of your concerns seem to me to be about the, what the future deal looks like. And, and I think we have to accept now, that, it, and, it, and it's been clear for quite some time, that we were not going to have much clarity on what the future deal was, and it was always going to be a case of, okay, what happens in the next phase of the negotiations is going to be another battle to be fought both domestically about what we're actually trying to achieve and how realistic that is. So I, th- I, think, I, think, I think people have to kind of be clear about what it is they oppose to the current deal. And I, I think I agree with you there are parts of it that are problematic. It seems to me the biggest thing that, that, we should, that people should focus on changing is, is, is addressing the point about the backstop and the exit mechanism because that's where we potentially lose the most leverage in that next phase of negotiations. And I think that's, but I think at the moment it's, people, people sort of seem to be complaining about a whole range of things which actually are kind of irrelevant. Like it's, it's saying we, I wanted a free trade agreement versus checkers is kind of like, that's not what this is about now. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the question is, what, what, how much does this deal close down the options in the next phase? That's, I think that's the key thing. And I think, I think there are problems with it that, that do that. I think those are the things that people need to focus on. Yeah, I think in the, in the kind of morass of options, one that I've seen put about once or twice is, as Stephen says, I think the the really key thing is getting rid of that one, uh, making a kind of one-way withdrawal, so that if we don't like this deal, we're not stuck in it permanently. That to me seems the absolutely fundamental issue. But what if, let's just put it out there, Theresa May were to say, once we've got this through, that's the withdrawal bit. I'll resign, and then a lever can take on the future relationship negotiating. But that I think has to be predicated on this withdrawal issue being the exit mechanism issue being sorted out otherwise that a future leader won't have any room for manoeuvring and there's no point it doesn't matter whether you're a leader or a remainer at that point I, I just wonder what you guys think I, 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 I slightly disagree with that in the sense that I think that if a future leader came in and said okay this has been signed and the government will go through the process but parallel to that we are going to continue planning for WTO and if necessary I will seek a mandate to go to do that um, there's nothing stopping someone doing that. I mean, Trump just tore up NAFTA and renegotiated mm-hmm. it. This, this is, I think there is a fundamental difference between the EU treaty and this treaty. The ECJ is not the ultimate arbiter of this treaty. Um, our own courts aren't, don't have to defer to the ECJ's direct judgment on the meaning of this treaty, in most, in more or less all elements apart from some bits in Northern Ireland. So we need to kind of 
there's a, there's a paradox here. You, you have to kind of own your own sovereignty and say, okay, look, we, we, we need to go into the next phase saying, look, we are going, we are going to be prepared to, to, for all eventualities, which, okay, yes, we've, we've signed an international treaty which is meant to do all these things. Um, it's not ideal. And, we, and we're going to plan for plan A not working. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that's... I, I, people need to... I, think, I don't think... I'm not sure Theresa May is capable of doing that. Um, but this is not for me to talk. I'm not, <laughs> it's not my job. Um, but I, 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 I think... I think the question is that for people who are sort of wanting to change leadership, it's kind of, you probably only get one go at it, and is it, is it about changing the withdrawal agreement now, or is it having someone who might have a different strategy to the, to the end game? And I think that's, that's, I mean, that's a question for Lee rather than, rather than for me. Well, I think your point on treaty, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we can come back to this. This is the Michael Gove, so get out now and see where, see where we are and try and, you know, we are signing a treaty. A treaty, as far as I can tell, Please correct me if I'm wrong. Which has no clear exit mechanism for us to do that without ripping a treaty up Trump style, which is you know contrary really to the rules of how people play no, around. Sure, it's the not. World, it's not right? I, I agree. So, it's not so, ideal. So, so, so our solution to this treaty is we sign a treaty which is bad, and then we upend the world order. I mean, you know, that's not a, that's not a solution in my head. And the the you know you're you're, you're right. You're, you're, you said a few minutes ago we're, we're at the danger of talking across purposes, and I think that's a very very fair point. You know, when I used to I used to be a manager consultant and I used to um, do change management you know where we ripped out like, IT systems we put them in this is a, you know, a, a slightly odd parallel but what but bear with me at points when you got yourself into real problems where you were massively overspending or you were massively late or the project wasn't working or the objectives weren't being achieved you had two choices you either continued running around in the hamster wheel and trying to fix the immediate thing which was in front of you on the basis that one more push would get you over and it and it probably isn't as bad as going right back to the beginning and starting again or at times you had to have the wherewithal to say we've got ourselves into a really odd place here probably for very good reasons and all the rest of it, and we need to stand back and look again and the, the position I'm in today is we obviously can't go back to the very beginning. I wish we'd have done loads of stuff which we've talked about over the last year and a half, but we haven't. But I am at that place where we go, enough, stand back. Does this agreement give us what we want? No. Does it give us the leverage to get what we want in the next round? No. So we have to decide that that's, that's that, that. Rule it, rule, put a line under it, and then try again with another way and unfortunately another person because the person who we've got at the moment won't divorce herself from, from that and so yes I agree we are slightly talking cross purposes because I, I'm you know I am deliberately standing back and mm. saying that's it for me I can't I can't be on this bus any longer and I can't I can't carry on driving towards the wall in the hope that we turn we turn the wheel five degrees and it's a slightly less worse crash mm. uh, okay so let's wrap things up with a short uh, prediction from everyone which is uh, when you know on Independence Day was it 29th of March is that the day we leave the uh, the EU um, uh, do you, A do you think it's a two part short answer question for everyone do you think something that looks roughly like Theresa May's deal will be the will be in place and do you think the Prime Minister will be in place those are the two questions who wants to go first uh, I'll do it yeah um, can I just say before I say this that I'm almost certainly going to be wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I know predictions are, are a mugs game, aren't they? But it's just a, I yeah, think we still make that. Well, one is contingent on the other, so it's either true. it's yes, yes, or no, no. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, my feeling is it's probably going to be of the two. Yes, yes, it's marginally more likely. That's so. Yeah, some sort of deal. Some sort of deal, not this one, and. If that, then yeah, she'll stay in because one thing she has shown is complete 
stickability throughout. Who's next? Uh, yeah, okay. I, would, I would tend to agree with that. I, do, I don't think it will go on the first um, point of asking, um, and there may be some sort of tweaks, but it, and some of that may be systematic around the backstop, but probably largely cosmetic, and I think ultimately it probably would go through. And But I think that might actually hinge more on what the Labour Party does than necessarily the Tory party changing its mind much more, more from that. And my answer is I don't know, and I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, and, and genuinely, I don't. I mean, you know, as you say, predictions are a mug's game. I, I don't think this deal goes through. The question is whether, if it just keeps getting given back to the House of Commons in a non-materially changed form, whether some parts of my party and some parts of the Labour Party will eventually cobble together and to get it through, which I think would be a mistake, because I think it will it will create a whole heap of democratic and legitimate problems in the country for years to come, but that's a separate discussion. Uh, and the Prime Minister, I don't know. I mean, you know, I hope, I hope we can change this, but um, we will see. And, you know, resilience is not a strategy. Okay, I'll quickly do my own prediction and then we can, rep, we can call it a day. But I think that, I think I'm probably on the, in the yes, it was something like this deal and we'll go through. If I'm wrong, I think it will be because of the DUP, not because of Conservative parliamentary party. I think that that what is underpriced at the moment is the prospect of the DUP voting with Labour in a no confidence deal in the House of Commons, not uh, Lee and his colleagues' letters, meaning that the Prime Minister goes. So on that gloomy, gloomy is that the right word? I don't know. <laughs> Tense cliffhanger uh, ending. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. So thank you all for uh, taking part. That was Lee Rowley, Stephen Booth, and John Ashmore on the latest Brexit drama. Thanks for listening.